It's a global world, dude. Is that what they say? Global village. Global. <laughs> it's always been a global world. <clears throat> the world has always been global. It's a universal cosmos. Yeah. Well said. Three Dogs North is an attempt to objectify the subjective with little violence as possible. The following has been torn from its origins in space and time and put entirely at your disposal. So do you guys have cool stories? Because I have one, but it's not... I don't have to tell it. I told you my only cool story last night, so you tell yours. I don't think I have any cool stories. You guys ready for this, Jelly? So I was in... This is boring. (laughs) Continue. All right. Well, okay. It's an auspicious beginning. (laughs) Um... Went to Starbucks the other day because I've just been in need of writing, just like producing papers, and I'm not doing it in my room or the library here, so I'm going off campus a lot. So I went to Starbucks to write a paper, and I was there maybe four hours. Got a lot of writing done, uh, but I wore my clerics. I always wear my clerics when I go out in public, and nobody said anything to me, or, you know, even you kind of are half looking for looks, but even that I don't. I don't really notice it that much, and I don't know if I'm just blind to it. Because a lot of people say they do get looks, but hmm. never notice. But after about four hours, this guy that's been sitting near me for a long time just comes up and he goes, Hey, are you Matt Foley? Who is that former army chaplain now? Pastor, oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, church in uh, the suburbs. And I said, No, but I know who he is. And he's like, Oh, yeah, I just asked because my son was in the military and he knew him. Uh, and I knew he was from this area, so I said, oh, no, I'm Father Connor. I'm at Mundelein finishing a STL degree, and I'm in the parish on the weekend and Blue Line, and get to talking, yada, yada, yada. Um, he had a kind of a big conversion when he was in college, which was probably 20, 25 years ago, and he had grown up Catholic and was going to Mass and stuff like that while he was in college, but sort of living a lifestyle he wasn't loving and sort of moving away from God. <clears throat> and he was looking for something deeper, and he wasn't finding it at Mass. And finally, he got involved. I think he was trying out churches, it sounded like, and went to this Protestant place and heard this homily that was like 40 minutes, but he said it was riveting. And he'd been hearing from <clears throat> these Protestant people that were on campus you gotta, you gotta see Mrs. So and So. She does this Bible study for college kids, and it's amazing. She has it at her house, and there's like forty kids that go. And she's like, "Yeah, yeah," but he goes and hears this sermon, and he's sitting in the way back so that he can leave a little early so that he doesn't have to talk to anyone. And as he's leaving, um, this old lady grabs his arm and and is like, "I want to take you to lunch," and it's Mrs. So and So. And they go to lunch, and he kind of explains his whole story, what he's looking for, and what God is doing in his life. And she sets up a meeting, like, once a week with him to talk about the scriptures and his questions about Christianity. And she just they just together answer these questions, and he starts going to the Bible study. Anyway, he has this big conversion, and he's all about the scriptures. And um, he's talking about how important that was to him. We got to talking about a lot of different things, like the culture and... Um, 
Christianity in general. And he seemed positive about the Catholic Church. He's like, you know, I'm really grateful for the Catholic Church that, you know, we have a nativity scene here in Libertyville because of the Catholic Church in town and Is stuff he not, like that. He's not Catholic? Well, so I asked him that question. Okay. I said, do you still consider yourself a Catholic? And he kind of goes, good question. Um, but the answer, I got the impression, was kind of no, just because he doesn't, he doesn't go to Mass anymore right. for y- decades now. He's raised his kids outside the church in this in this church he goes to, um, which is sort of a biblical evangelical Protestant church. Um, but he came up to me, and he's very open to me, and never said a bad word about the Catholic Church, other than he didn't get anything out of it when he was growing up. So I kind of told him my story and hit heavy on how the scripture, scriptures had influenced me. Um, reading the Bible for the first time with my dad in high school, being in a Bible study, leading a Bible study in college, all this different thing. And then I, you know, peppered in the sacraments as well and how important the Eucharist was to me and things like that. Um, so he's just, we're like, he's just pumped, you know. And he's like, man, you get it. It's like, did it... Do the other priests get that? Get it like you get it, you know? And I, I took that to mean, like, that the scriptures are important and the things that are important to him are important, right. you know? And I was affirming that. <clears throat> and he said, if I'd met a priest like you when I was in college, I'd still be Catholic. Um, and I'm kind of thinking in the back of my mind, like, well, you're meeting me now. <laughs> <laughs> um, and there's nothing special about me. It's just, that, like, he probably doesn't talk to priests. You know, you, you get in certain circles... And you think, I was Catholic, and I know everything there is to know about that. And Anyway, he's like, you got to meet this, um, this guy. He's the son of my pastor, and he became a Catholic. And he, now he goes to Mass, and he's really into the young adult Catholic stuff in the area, but he still helps out at his dad's church. Um, so he gives me his card. I email him right away, like, great to meet you if you want to send me that guy's contact info. Then he emails me right back, and he's like, all three of us should get lunch. Let's go get lunch. And, like, two days later, we went and got lunch. Me, him, and this and this guy, who's, like, a couple years younger than me. Turns out he had converted to Catholicism while at U of I at the Newman Center. Wow. So we get to talking about how he converted. Wait, what is what is this the guy that converted? Uh-huh. Not, you know, not to get in. What's his first name? That guy was in my Bible study. Seriously? Yeah. <laughs> at, at U of I. I know exactly who you're talking oh about. Oh, my God. He came, I met him through, I think, a koinonia, and he came to my Bible study. Like, he knows his stuff so This guy well. was on point. Yeah. In, yeah, literally, like, as he was going through his conversion, somehow he came to my Bible study at the fraternity. Like, he wasn't, no he was, he wasn't from the fraternity, but, yeah, he was, like, guys loved him. There's probably 10 of us in that Bible study. Relax. So this guy, he invites, one of the emails he sent out, he's like, I find it ironic that I'm participating in getting Catholics together, and I'm loving it. (laughs) (laughs) He's like, you have to understand from my perspective, this is proof that God has a good sense of humor. And I assume it means he's been away from the church for so long, and and now he's, he's the one bringing Catholics together. And he'd also kind of said to me beforehand, like, you know, I've wondered if he you know, might be called to the priesthood and stuff like that's that. That's what he's saying about this About kid. this guy. Wow. And uh, so, anyway, we're, man, we're using a lot of the really specific names and places, but I guess it doesn't matter. <clears throat> uh, if you're listening, guys, 
We're saying all nice things. Yeah. <laughs> only good uh, things. We're in deep at this point. This yeah. is a deep story. Um, so his story of conversion was sort of the highlight of our lunch talk. Um, and he said that he went to a Campus Crusade Bible study his first semester, freshman year, at Champaign. And the, the guys running it were these two Calvinists, what he described as Calvinists. And he really didn't like Calvinism, especially for double predestination. Uh, you know, that God would create certain people specifically to send them to hell. Was, and, and the guy was kind of like, wait, that's what Calvinists believe? <laughs> he's like, <laughs> oh, that doesn't, business, that doesn't sound good at all. He's like, well, that's what hardcore Calvinism <laughs> means. Yeah. You know, yeah. like God's providence is irresistible. Irres- grace is irresistible. So if you don't get it, that means that he didn't want to give it to you. <clears throat> Um, and the guy's kind of like, oh, mm. uh, and he said his only exposure <clears throat> or his only kind of thought about Catholicism was that they don't read the scriptures, but these campus crusade guys were taking Galatians and just tearing apart Catholicism through it, using it as proof that the Catholic church was just pagan heresy. And, uh, but he didn't, you know, obviously these guys to him were not that credible, so him and his roommate, who were, he was a parishioner at his dad's church, his roommate, his freshman year, had talked about going to a Catholic mass and a Jewish synagogue at some point, just to see what they were like. And they never ended up doing it together. But his sophomore year, he met a girl who was Catholic, and she took him to mass. And uh, he said he was immediately struck by how much of the scriptures was in the mass. And he quoted specifically, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He's like, oh, that's from John. He said his thought was, well, maybe Catholics don't read the Bible, but whoever wrote the Mass sure did. (laughs) 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 Just a hilarious thing to say. That's an awesome thought. (laughs) Um, So he said he got way more into Catholicism than into this girl. And uh, so he just, on his own, started investigating what Catholics actually believed. And he made a list, like a written down list of all the things he would have trouble believing about Catholicism. And how he made the list was Googling Catholic heresies and reading Protestant polemics against Catholicism. And he said he was halfway there to believing by reading these polemics and how weak their arguments were. Um, but anyway, he made, makes the list and then just like plums into Catholic literature and catechism on what these things Actually, what the Catholic Church actually believes about infallibility of the Pope, the sacrifice of the Mass, the Assumption of Mary, and Scripture and tradition, and all this stuff. He said that one of the first things he... I asked him, what was like the first thing you were, you came to our side on? And he's like, honestly, the Assumption of Mary. And I was like, that's pretty surprising. Why was that so easy to believe? He's like, well, you know, it's not in the Scriptures, but not everything that happened is written down in the scriptures and it doesn't contradict anything that's in the scriptures. Um, so it just wasn't hard for me to believe that it happened if it's been a tradition for this long. I thought, I thought in my mind, once you make that jump as a Protestant, that not everything that ever happened ever with religious significance was written down in the scriptures and that some things might have been just passed on in the body of the church in its oral tradition, then your whole sola scriptura, where's that in the Bible thing, melts away. Yeah. Um, if you can make that jump, then you're almost all in. And so everything else just kind of felt like a domino rally. And he was literally crossing things off the list as the weeks went by, as he was doing this research. On top of all his class 
and going to his normal church. That's so cool. And um, he said at one point he had read that to be a Catholic, you have to believe everything the Catholic Church teaches, at least with religious assent. And he said, I almost gave up because I thought, I'll never be able to believe everything. You know, I could, I could say certain things, yeah. But he said as the list got shorter and shorter, he was like, well, maybe I can. And he said on All Saints Day, he called his family, and they had known he was doing this investigation. And he said, I'm going to become a Catholic this year. Wow. And that Easter vigil, he was confirmed and received First Communion. Wow. And now he's hardcore. Yeah. And so this guy, who's an Irish Catholic, who invited us to to lunch, me, a 29-year-old priest, and this guy, a 26, 27-year-old, hardcore, vehement Catholic, who's thought this through from Protestantism to Catholic. And he said, I said, how did your dad react? And he's like, well, at first it was kind of a conflict, but I explained to him, you know, I'm not leaving your church. I'm, I'm not rebelling against what you taught me. You taught me to be a good Protestant, and that led me to the Catholic Church. Um, That's a great line. It was. And he said his mom... And the guy was like, what about your mom? You said your dad was okay with it, but what about me? He's, he's like, oh, my mom totally supports it. She's She loves St. Ignatius of Loyola and the spiritual exercises <laughs> and stuff. And she she has no problem with the Catholic Church. She's Protestant Church. as well? Of course, yeah. Yeah. Pastor's wife. But anyways, I don't know what's going to happen, but um, we just, I've just been texting him and um, telling him I'm praying for his family this Advent. And he, he sent me a list of everybody. He's like, here are the players <clears throat> that you can pray for. And sent like me the names of all his family. <laughs> He's a really cool guy. Right. And he was the he was the outgoing guy that came up to me, you know. All I did was just wear clerics yeah. in public. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought, man, this is the argument for wearing your clerics. Why hide that you're a priest? You know? Because th- these kind of interactions, and I'm not saying that, you know, I'm winning, I'm going to win this soul to our side, you know, like this is some kind of battle. But it is just a cool human interaction to have, like that you would just go out to lunch with a stranger and talk about some of the most important things in life. That doesn't just happen, you know? Um, But dang. Well, it is super shocking from just like my experience this past summer that the assumption of the Blessed Mother was the first thing that he got to go on. Because that's honestly one of the most, that's like one of the sticking points for the majority of them. Mm -hmm. That and papal infallibility of how these doctrines were approved, you know, nineteen almost nineteen hundred years after after Christ. Yeah. And so they're like, what are, are these doctrines just like lying around in the cave? And then they all of a sudden find them and like, oh, now this is what this is true, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it is. It is kind of. I mean, it's very shocking. It's certainly. Um, an his point, of I think, was his point was that you, if you look at it, like papal infallibility, sure, eighteen seventy one was the first time it's pronounced at Vatican one, but. If you read what's actually meant by it and how many times it's been invoked, it's a very modest claim. Definitely. That the that when the Pope speaks qua Pope, ex cathedra, intentionally infallibly about faith and morals, he can't err. It's not saying the Pope doesn't sin. It's not saying the Pope never says anything wrong. It's just that when he invokes this authority, this teaching authority for the church, in these specific areas, right. he can't err. Um, and that's been the consistent tradition of the church before it was pronounced as in quote infallibility for all this time. And if you look at church history, it's always been, you know, the chair of Peter, the voice of Peter, Peter has spoken in the tome of Leo for Chalcedon and stuff like that. Then assumption of Mary, they, I think that one or was the Immaculate Conception? Because that, that was, that was only pronounced as dogma in the 1800s. 
but they the Pope sent letters to all the bishops and said, do you think we should pronounce this as a dogma? Like, is this the faith of the people? And um, they said, like, with, except one bishop said, um, don't do it. And it wasn't because it wasn't true. It was because it would, it would not help with his relations with the Protestants. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just a, it was just strictly an ecumenical consideration, yeah. not whether or not this was actually the faith of the people. Right. Um, and so it's not invent. It's not like guys in tall hats in Rome are inventing new things that Catholics have to believe. They're just saying, "Okay, this has been the tradition for this long. It's time to just say this is what Catholics believe." Right. But it is like, what you're talking about of getting out, stepping outside of sola scriptura. Is I mean that's the beginning of the dominoes. Yeah. Because it's a way that you view all of Christianity. It's a way that you view Jesus. Is this is. Like, this is, in a sense, all we can know about him. So when, mm-hmm. you, when you allow yourself to be outside of that, to step yeah. outside of just what is written, so, like, you know, and I know that they get involved in this, especially with just private prayer. Like, this, these things are outside of Scripture, that Christ is interacting with you because he's truly alive. Yeah. Like, the church is truly alive. This is something that's living and growing and changing and breathing. Mm-hmm. Therefore, it's not, that's why we don't worship a book. Right. You know, so just even that, shift of thought um, is huge. But one thing that always gets me about the the Reformation, and it's such a detriment to Protestantism, is they lose the Blessed Mother. Yeah. You know, they, who's like, I mean... Really important. Absolutely. You know, the Mediatrix. And to have that be the first move back to, mm-hmm. you know, into fulfillment of Christianity, into the Catholic Church, I think is very significant. If you thought it her mom, think about that. That would be awful. I think that the key, though, even before Mary, is the loss of the Eucharist uh, is at the heart of it. And we've talked about the importance of the Eucharist <clears throat> recently. But I, Father de Gaulle mentions this, and he's been mentioning this a lot in our um, STL class I'm taking, because it was kind of Reformation and, and beyond into modernity was the topic of the class. And he's saying that if you don't have the Eucharist, that is, the, like, the sacramental worldview, that, that the divine presence is um, actually mediated by material things. And so by receiving the Eucharist, you receive Jesus Christ himself and therefore become part of his body. And you, you take in his life and are divinized. You, uh, God became man so man could become God. This, this old, old tradition of the church that without the sacraments... You can't really have any more. Then we're just um, totally ter delita, like Luther says. Like we're just total trash. And thanks be to God, He covered o- us over so that um, we could sneak our way into heaven because of Jesus. Not that He would come in us and transform us, so that we would actually be worthy of heaven. That we would actually be virtuous and loving and totally self-sacrificing, like we praise the saints for being, because they've been transformed by grace and the Holy Spirit. Through the sacraments, first baptism and the rest, um, that you're born anew and actually different, and not just covered over and disguised as something you're not. Yeah. Um, if you don't have that transformation, then nothing makes sense. The fact that we praise the saints, um, the fact that we praise the Blessed Mother, that we have relics, you know, of the saints, and we would we would re- we would reverence a piece of a bone of a person who lived and died, but lived the faith like a champion. Because what we're saying is that that is another Christ. 
everyone that receives the Eucharist becomes another Christ because they take his life in them and then become Christ in the world. And so we can revere them and pray to them and ask their help, not because they're some other God and like we are, well, there's Jesus and then there's like St. Maximilian Kolbe and then there's the Blessed Mother and St. Peter and there's a lot of different paranormal characters in our religion, you know, like it would look from the outside. But if you believe in the Eucharist, you say, geez, when I take this in, I myself become another Christ. Um, and I'm not all the way there yet, but there are these people who are, you know, who made it, who fought the good fight all the way to the end and now live in heaven and see God face to face. And darn it, I'm going to be friends with them. Um, and I might even kiss their bones every once in a while. And it certainly makes like the mystical body... Oh, it makes a lot more sense. Yeah. And the like the church being a, a member of the the church in its entirety. I don't know how you can understand that without the sacraments, without a sacramental worldview. Mm-hmm. But total depravity, I mean, it's there goes the sacraments. What and the irony do? of it, I think, is that, that mentality is a, an attempt to kind of protect the holiness of God by saying we could never be that holy. Mm-hmm. Only God is that good. But like, that doesn't protect the holiness or the goodness of God because if God is really infinitely good, like we say, then and infinitely powerful, how is he not able to transform us? You've actually put limits on God, not on us, by saying that our depravity is so deep that God could never go that low. He could never go into that darkness and make it light. Um, we're too bad. Well, it's either that <clears throat> that he can't or that he could but he won't. But doesn't want to. Yeah. You know, which kind of takes away from the whole idea of God being father, which is, mm-hmm. again, I think it was Ratzinger that said, if you want to convert the world, do it with beauty and the saints. Because, like, that's the initial things that, you know, they see. It's interesting to talk to some people that are, you know, very opposed to the Catholic faith, but have a certain reverence to certain saints. Not all of them, usually. Um but a certain reverence. So, I don't know. I love it. Yeah. Because that idea, I think when when they don't have a proper understanding of the saints, they, like, pit them, like you're saying, as, like, one of the gods with the god, or, like, they stand in opposition to God. Like, that's not what we're saying at all. As a matter of fact, you look at the Magnificat, like, it's a it's a magnif- uh, proclamation of how good God is. Mm-hmm. That's what That's what the saints are. It's, I, I can't remember who gave the homily the other day, but you have the grace of God that comes into the soul, and the soul being the diamond, the prism, mm-hmm. shoots and magnifies like really how great God is through the, through the human person. Well, also the prism breaks open the light, <clears throat> which is just white, but when it comes through a prism, you see all these different colors, and that's why the saints are all these different ways of expressing the goodness and holiness of God that look totally different. You know? yeah. It is interesting that when you lose the saints, like you eventually get back to sinners in the hand of an angry God mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. Yeah. But it reminds me, I had breakfast with Monsignor Esif like a month or two ago, and he was kind of talking about at first some reflections from a recent retreat he was on, and he said that it hit him for the first time in his life, and this guy's like 86 or 87, I think, that the St. Paul's line to, like, follow me, like, imitate me as I imitate Christ, pretty Mm -hmm. much. And he said that, you know, he was like, I can say that. Like, I say that to you. It's like, follow me as I imitate Christ. And and then he pointed at me. He was like, can you say it? And honestly, it made me, like, very uncomfortable 
to like think about saying that. And he made me say it. He was like, no, say it right now. <laughs> and because uh, that's the point of being a Christian. Like, we can't say that. Like, what we're, what we're getting at, to become another to become another Christ. Like, that's a radical goodness of God that we don't talk about enough. Mm-hmm. Same thing like Father Paul Murray was talking about at the beginning of this year. is A thing that he has noticed in all these retreats that he does is that at the beginning of the spiritual life, people are very afraid of the darkness in their heart, and that's a very real fear. But he has found as people progress through the spiritual life, they're much more afraid of the light in their own heart. Mm-hmm. Which is very interesting if you think about it. Like that we will one day be like so transformed that we're one with Christ in a sense worthy to be in heaven. Like we can claim that. That's a lot better than just like sneaking into heaven. It's like, oh, please let me in. I'm such a bad person. Right. Because that idea of, of heaven, of like us being trash and the blanket draped over us. Of like, okay, now with Jesus's skin or Jesus's grace over us, yeah. like we're running around. I just picture a bunch of people like dressing up as like ghosts or something with sheets on their heads, <laughs> running around heaven. Of, like, I'm picturing the. Uh, you remember in the Little Mermaid how the bad witch lady turned everybody into those little sea worms that lived in the like in the wall. No, I don't remember. It's the anything. first movie I ever <laughs> saw in the movie theater. <laughs> Embarrassing. Don't know what you're talking about, but shut up! You've never seen that movie. I think I have, but I don't remember the sea worms. Actually, I saw them at the aquarium at the like the shed aquarium. Is that what that is in Chicago? Shed? You don't know? Yeah, shed aquarium. They have them, and, and they live in like the sand, and they're just like they just have these little heads that kind of bend, <laughs> and they look like worms that are stuck there. <laughs> the little, but she would take their souls and make them into these little worms. Mm. But I've heard I've heard this worm theology term bandied about that uh, it's just as opposed to kind of kingdom or victory theology that God is actually hmm. healing and transforming people so that they can do what Christ does. I mean, right. that's in the resurrection. After the resurrection, Christ is not doing anything because He's giving it for us to do, so that we can enjoy the dignity of being Him. Right. Um, totally obedient to God's will and participating in the salvation of the world. Uh, so he leaves it for us to do, although he's doing it in us, um, but he includes us in it. And we're not just worms that are like, oh, despite myself, all I can do is inhibit God's will. So just totally annihilate me and do stuff even though I'm here, you know. Blaha said it really well. I was talking to him a while back about being a priest, and he's like, I often get the impression that I'm not doing any of this, but if I weren't here, it wouldn't be happening. I think I might have told you that guy, mm-hmm. told you that line, but mm-hmm. I think that's really true of uh, most of what I do as a priest. When I feel at my best, um, my sp- spiritual director said this. He's like, when you give your life to God, um, as you have done in ordination, or any Christian does in their baptismal vows, um, your life and what you do is kind of none of your business. <laughs> Which is a very strong way of putting that, but yeah. it's really true. Like, yeah, you don't choose where you go. You don't, uh, you don't get to decide what the goal is, but it's way better than when you do. Because the times I've had goals that I've invented and tried to go at them, I've always been like, eh, 
you know, you lose steam because it's like not that exciting. Mm -hmm. But once you give your life totally over and um, you see that your life is not about you, then it's like, oh, I can see, I can see going full throttle, you know? Like this podcast. Totally, man. It's like, this is not about me. Full throttle. Full throttle. Three Dogs North are Juice, Seabisk, and Michael Metz. Conversations have been edited to sound smarter. Audio and transcripts of this episode are exclusive property of Mundelein Seminary and may not be rebroadcast without the express written consent of Major League Baseball. And down.